0: I'm going to pray for us and ask God's blessing on the preaching of his word, and then we will read the text for us this morning. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do ask now that you would speak to us through the preaching of your word. Lord, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And Lord, would you bring good news this morning to us who need to live daily by Jesus Christ through our faith in him. Lord, raise our eyes heavenward, turn our hearts upward from the things of this earth. Let us see our hope in heaven. Let us turn from the things of this earth. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Uh, Judges chapter 16, and we're going to read the whole chapter. Samson went to Gaza, and there was a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait till the light of morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came to her and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you eleven hundred pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, "'Please tell me where your great strength lies "'and how you might be bound that one could subdue you.' "'Samson said to her, "'If they bind me with seven fresh bow strings "'that have not been dried, "'then I shall become weak and be like any other man.' "'Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bow strings that had not been dried, "'and she bound him with them. "'Now she had men lying in ambush in the inner chamber, "'and she said to him, "'The Philistines are upon you, Samson.' But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson and the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber. But he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with a web and fasten it tight with a pin, then I shall become weak like any other man. So while while he slept, "'Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. "'And she made them tight with the pin and said to him, "'The Philistines are upon you, Samson.' "'But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom and the web. "'And she said to him, "'How can you say, I love you, when your heart is not with me? "'You have mocked me these three times, "'and you have not told me where your great strength lies.' And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man." When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off those seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistine seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their god. For they said, Our god has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about three thousand men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, Please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be, ab- may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, and his right hand on the one, and his left on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords, and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshterol and the tomb of Manoah his father. He had judged Israel twenty years. Thus ends the reading of the word of the Lord. May he bless it to us this morning. How often have you laid outside at night and looked up at the sky? This is not a common thing that we do for many of us anymore. We don't get our entertainment by laying outside looking at the stars around us. And often when we look out into the sky, we're overwhelmed by the darkness that surrounds all of the stars in the sky. The vast space before us seems incredibly empty, and it seems like it's all darkness, But is that really the case? Is it all darkness out there? And if you think about it, space is not empty at all. Modern science tries to prove this in all kinds of different ways, but space is actually not filled with darkness. It's filled with light. You just can't see it until you see a satellite passing by and it glimmers in the light of the sun going around. We see darkness occasionally punctuated by pinpricks of stars in the sky. But in reality, it is a a vast expanse filled with light that we just can't see. And as we think about the heavens that are above us, punctuated by moments of life, light, often this book of Judges feels like that. It feels like a book that is just dark and gets darker and darker, and you have brief moments of light that shines through, but you wonder, is there any light in the end of this story? As we move through this, whatever light remains is seemingly extinguished at each new judge who comes. And here now with a final chapter of the Judges, the last judge that's listed in the book of Judges, we see Samson who dies in the end in this tragic, awful way that we see. Is there any light here? Or is it just simply all darkness? Now, I'd like us to look at this passage and see what is the light here. Is there light to be seen? And it begins this way. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. Each major scene in the story of Samson begins with him visiting a woman of the Philistines, the enemies of the people of Israel. First, it was this woman who he saw her and desired her and made her his, his wife. But she exposed his plot and Samson left her and her father gave her away and we saw the tragic results that happened from that. And now here he is pursuing a prostitute in Gaza, some 30 or 40 miles from where Samson lived. And here he is, he enters into this Gazan town, this place where he has already made himself a stench to the Philistine people. And we think to ourselves, what is this man doing? Why is he going back again to these people whom he has made so angry time and time again. How foolish is this man? While he self-confidently enters into this town, carouses with this prostitute, and then has no concern what's going to happen. It's this constant refrain that we see in the life of Samson. Him going and doing whatever he pleases, and then when the Philistines are upset with him, he just does whatever he wants. No thought of what results from his actions. Now we see that they result in all kinds of things where he will embarrass the Philistines and it's a form of God's judgment on them. But we see what Samson's doing here, showing his foolishness and recklessness. The text tells us that the men of Gaza set an ambush for Samson, but their plan backfires terribly. They gather at the gates of the town and say, we will wait until the light of day when we can attack him and kill him. But Samson foils their plot. He goes and rips out the bars of the gates of the city. Now, these are not ordinary bars like we would have in front of our doors. These are tens of feet high, 20, 30, 40 feet high, and they're bolted into the ground. And he rips this out, and it is a moment of embarrassment to these men of this city of Gaza, showing, you can't stop me. And then Samson, showing his strength, takes this off to Hebron, which is 40 miles away a giant gate weighing hundreds of pounds, and then plants it in the land of his brother, his kindred in Judah, as a sign to say, Look what I've done. It's an embarrassing scenario for the Philistines. So it's no wonder they want even more to kill this man. But Samson can't get enough, as if his first wife, this prostitute, couldn't satisfy his lustful desires for pleasure. He's a man who shows disdain for the Philistine men but also has a penchant for Philistine women. Every single woman that he pursues is from the land of the Philistines. And our scene changes here a bit with the introduction of the first named woman in the story of Samson, the only named woman in the story of Samson, Delilah. Now as you if you were here a few weeks ago when we heard the birth narrative Of Samson, we heard about his name that it comes from the Hebrew word Shemesh, which is the Hebrew word for sun. Now, the beginning of chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, we hear this scene of nighttime, that everything is happening at night, and the first character that we encounter is Delilah, which comes from the Hebrew Hebrew word that you all know. Lila, which means night. And it's this contrast that has been building of day and night of the sun and darkness, light and darkness. And we see that Samson is fulfilling, before we even heard these words of 2 Corinthians 16, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? I think the Apostle Paul was, probably had Samson in the back of his mind when he's penning those words. But Samson shows himself as one who can't get enough. He loves this woman. The text tells us he loves her. He evidently tells her when she rebukes Samson and says, why do you say to me you love me? Why does he love this woman? Or see the true nature of Samson's heart. He loves the wrong thing. He's controlled by his own passions and desires, There's nothing above him that dictates what he ought to love and through which he decides which is what's right. The things of this world, beauty, attractiveness, chemistry, those are the only thing that Samson uses to base his choices upon. Whatever feels good to him, he's going to do it. It's just a playing out of what we saw in chapter 14. This woman was right in his eyes and he's going to go get it. Our eyes and our hearts act just like Samson, do they not? We see what we want and we rationalize. We find ways to obtain those things. And it doesn't happen just in relationships. It happens in all kinds of ways in our lives. Samson is a picture of all of us. Given over to our desires, doing as we please, doing what is right in our own eyes, But he's also a picture, the author of Judges is trying to paint for us, a picture of Israel themselves pictured in one single man, rejecting their Nazarite status, rejecting their status as set apart to the Lord God, to obey his commandments, to not intermarry with the people around them, mixing with their gods and their evil ways. Samson is just acting like a normal Israelite in this time forgetting what God has told them to love, instead choosing their own things to love. And we see what so often happens in our own lives happens here in the life of Samson. Those things that we pursue after, the loves that we have of the things of this world prove ultimately to be our downfall. It's precisely what happens to Samson. Samson loves this woman, but she herself has a greater love. Money. She doesn't love Samson ultimately. Maybe she has affection for him. That's somewhat evident. But there's something far greater for her than Samson. And here comes Delilah, the woman of the night, to entrap Samson. The Philistines bribe her with an astonishing amount of money. 1,100 pieces of silver for each of these Philistine lords. The beginning of chapter one in this book tells us that there were five Philistine lords. So this is 5,500 pieces of silver. Now to us who don't trade currency in silver, this might not mean a lot. But in that time, this was equivalent to about 550 years worth of wages. Or in modern language, tens of millions of dollars that they're offering her. This is an exorbitant amount of wealth. This is some of the most exorbitant wealth that we see offered to any individual in the whole Bible. So you can see why she thinks, yeah, I like this guy, but not that much. And they bribe her with the sole purpose to find out where Samson's strength lies. And this is the curious riddle of the life of Samson, is it not? Where does his strength lie? What is it that made him able to do all these feats? And that is the very question that the Israelites are meant to ask. What is it that made them able to conquer those around them? And it's the question that we have to ask ourselves. What is the source of our strength in life? And Delilah then is this instrument in the Philistine hands to uncover this mystery, and uses her wiles to uncover it three times. Three times she goes to Samson, and three times Samson plays tricks on her, a common Hebrew trope where you tell a story three times, and the fourth time is the surprising turn. And the third time... He comes awfully close. He even says, it has to do with my hair. You have to tie it up. He doesn't quite reveal the secret, but it's like she's getting closer and closer and closer, and Samson's heart is unveiling more and more and more. And it is love, his love for this woman, evil as she is, that blinds him to what is about to happen. We look at this story and we say, why in the world would you reveal this secret after she has asked three different times, and told you this, and carried out the thing you told her would reveal your secret. Because finally he realizes he loves this woman, and he'll reveal his whole heart to her, no matter what it costs to him, even if it means becoming like any other man. So Samson reveals his secret. He tells her. If my hair is shaved, I will become like every other man. Now, why is this the case? What's so special about Samson's hair? What in particular is it about this hair that he has? Well, Samson tells us. It is the sign of his Nazarite status. If you remember when we talked about this in chapter 13, A Nazarite vow was taken as a way to separate yourself to the Lord for a special purpose. Oftentimes, we see in Scripture, there are a few instances where people would be set apart for military purposes. But it is a special purpose in his life saying, I am set apart for God's special work and special duty. But this is God who sets him apart. Everybody else in Scripture takes this of their own freedom, of their own volition. But Samson is not free in this. And the chief sign of that is the hair that is on their head. Numbers tells us or that when the hair is cut off from the head, that was the sign that the Nazarite vow was ended. They go before the priest and they shave their head and they give their hair to the priest, and the priest burns it, and then their vow has ceased. It is not so much the hair itself as what it symbolizes that he is set apart to the Lord. And as long as he keeps that unshorn, then he's set apart for God's purposes. So for Samson to have his head shaved wasn't merely a violation of his Nazarite status, like drinking wine or touching dead bodies, as we have seen. It was a renunciation of his Nazarite status. By revealing this secret to this woman, he is ultimately saying, I don't care anymore about my secret status before the Lord. What I want in the end of the day is you, woman of the night, Delilah. And what does Delilah do the moment she finds out this secret? She calls the men. And what happens to Samson? His strength goes away. The text tells us the Lord left him. He did not know that the Lord had left him. And Samson didn't know this. He didn't reckon with what was going to happen to him and the foolishness of his choice. And then we see the darkness settle upon Samson. The Philistine lords come in, bind him up, and put out his eyes. The man who sees whatever he wants and takes it is now blinded. A complete reversal of the life of Samson. The strongest man is now bound, and Delilah, the woman of the night, has brought darkness completely upon Samson. And the text moves on for us in verse 23. All these lords gather now to celebrate the fact that this mighty warrior who has slain thousands of them has been captured. They've overpowered him, and they attribute this to their god, Dagon, who is likely the grain god. An irony that's happening in chapter 14 where Samson, remember, he lights, off, lights on fire all the grain of the Philistines. Now they think, our, our God Dagon has given us this victory. But there's one little note in here in verse 22 that says his hair begins to grow back. It's a story to us that God is not done with Samson. He's not done with him yet. Now the Philistines bring Samson before them and they try to make sport of him. They, try, they want him to entertain him. But Samson is never done mocking the Philistines. Our translations don't pick this up and there's reasons. Sometimes we're a little shy about how frank the Hebrew text is. The word that they use for entertain is different from the word that Samson does for entertain. It's likely lewd acts that Samson is doing here. He is trying to shame those who are shaming him. Samson is not a model person. Oftentimes we look at Scripture and we look at Samson as this strong man who works on the Lord's behalf. And here the Hebrews mince no words to show this is not somebody we ought to emulate in many ways. So he embarrasses them back for his embarrassment before them. He is a man who is never to be bested, always seeking revenge But then in a seemingly hopeless moment, Samson realizes his estate. There's nothing he can do here. He's powerless. And something new happens in the life of Samson. There's two times that Samson prays. Once in chapter 15, when he asks the Lord to give him life. I'm dying of thirst. Give me water that I may live. But he has a new prayer. And this new prayer is that he acknowledges where his true source of strength comes from. It's not ultimately his Nazarite vow. It is the God who sets him apart and gives him the strength. Listen to what he says: "O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once: O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes." We wonder how the New Testament can look at this guy as a man of faith. One that we ought to look to. It's here. Despite his brokenness, despite his sinfulness, he knows where his true source of strength comes from. And it's not himself. He asks the Lord for strength, and in one final push, against the pillars, Samson brings down the whole house of Dagon, this Philistine god, and thousands of them with him in the middle of it all, killing all of them and himself in the process. What are we to make of this? What do we make of this story today? Well, in the story of Judges, there is one constant theme that is running through each of these judges. No matter how bad the Israelites get, and no matter how bad. And evil, the judges themselves, the rulers in Israel get, God is still faithful to bring deliverance to his people. God, despite the growing and overwhelming darkness that is filling his people and the land around them, is overcoming the darkness. There is light beginning to shine. And where we see only darkness, Samson, a judge filled with all kinds of sin, God is bringing light to his people and showing them that he is a God who will continue to save them despite all of their unfaithfulness, despite all of their evil that they commit. Now, Samson's death is the beginning of deliverance for the people of Israel. As it said in chapter 13, He will begin to deliver his people from the Philistines. He did not finally deliver them, but in his judgment on Dagon, the God of the Philistines, it is a public announcement that their God is powerless. It is God showing his light to his people, that he is powerful over these idols of the nations around them. And the old saying is true, Night is always darkness before dawn. And the very people from whom the Israelites needed deliverance in the darkest hour, God is bringing that salvation. Many of you today, all of us, in different ways, feel hopeless in life. We feel like it's getting darker and darker. And our own Sin, our own foolish behaviors, are the things that are bringing about that darkness in our lives. Maybe you see yourself in Samson today, a self-centered, overconfident, vengeful, prostituting wild man or woman. And you think to yourself, what hope is there for me? Is it all just darkness? Darkness. And this story here today is a story of hope for us. Despite the growing failure of Samson and ourselves, there is nothing that can prevent the Lord from continuing to save his people. God is faithful to his word. He will save. He will accomplish the salvation that he has promised. And he will use evil, wicked men in that process. Not as an excuse for that, but he will bring it about. See, the story of Samson, as all of the books that we may have seen as children, is told to us about Samson the strong man. Samson is not a strong man. He's a very weak man. In fact, he's the weakest of all judges. Yes, he has physical strength, but it is not about Samson's strength to save. Over and over and over in the story of Samson, it is a story about God's strength to save. The death of Samson shows that where we look and see darkness, just as we look out and see in the night sky, only little glimmers of hope, that there is light, Filling the darkness because God is at work. He is the light who shines in the darkness. He shows the Philistines in their folly. They praise their God. Our God has given us over, has given Samson over to us. They had no idea that God was giving over Samson to them to bring their own judgment. It's the folly of sin. There is no God Dagon. There are no real idols. There is nothing that has power in this world unless God has given it to it. There is only one Lord of heaven and earth. And he is the one who delivered Samson. And he is the one who brings about the judgment. Because Samson is the one judge who echoes our Savior most clearly. And it's opposite, but in very much like Christ. Unlike Samson, who was filled with sin, see, Jesus Christ was perfect, perfectly sinless. And like Samson, Jesus took the judgment of his enemies upon himself. But unlike Samson, Jesus didn't die with his enemies. Jesus died for his enemies. That's the great light that you and I have. It's the peace that we have. That we are the enemies of God who deserve to die in our idolatrous temples. But the great love of God that he has poured out on us in Jesus Christ is that Christ didn't merely die with us, but he died for us who are his enemies. And that, that is the strength for our lives. That was the strength that Samson had forgotten, that he was set apart to the God who is his Savior. And when he forgot that, when he gave up on it, when he forsook it, it only brought ruin and destruction into his life. Samson had to learn that he truly has no power. Samson was like every other man. He wasn't a bodybuilder. The moment the Lord leaves him, he is like every other man. He had to learn to acknowledge like you and I need to acknowledge that we have no strength. We have no power unless the Lord is the one who gives it to us. Our strength is not in ourselves. We have no power to save ourselves. We have no power even to bring about vengeance. We might try Our strength is in God alone, who through Jesus Christ saves wicked people like us, just like he saves Samson, a man of faith, listed in Hebrews chapter 11, who witnessed God's salvation and is now testifying to us through Scripture of a God who saves. Wicked people just like himself. That's the good news for you today. It's the hope and the strength of your life. So rest in it and take hope that God is the God of light who overcomes the darkness and shines in the darkness even when that's all we see. So turn to the Lord today and rest in him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do give thanks for the story of Samson. Lord, the tragedy that it is, but that you are continually at work. We pray you would, through your Holy Spirit, apply this to our hearts, and that when we feel dark inside, that we would not look into our own hearts, but look to Jesus Christ alone, who is our Savior, to pursue after him and to forsake and flee all the passing pleasures of this world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.